welcome humans, holograms, human-feline hybrids, and mechanoids to Scudicast, your one-stop shop to all things Red Dwarf. This week, Episode 4, Waiting for God. Original broadcast date, 7th of March, 1988. Hi, and welcome to Scudicast number 4. This week, we're reviewing the episode, Waiting for God. This week, I'm joined by Andrew. Oh. Anthony. Hello. And Ian. Hello. Unfortunately, Nick can't make it this week due to technical problems. So here's a quick synopsis from Anthony. Holly notices a pod floating in space, and Rimmer orders that it be salvaged, uh, salvaged, convinced that it is an artifact which contains alien life forms, even though Lister immediately realises that it is, in fact, a red dwarf garbage pod. Meanwhile, Lister is researching the cat's religion and discovers that their species, which evolved from his female pet Frankenstein, have used his Lister's image as their god. He follows the cat deep into the hold of the ship and finds that Cat is not, in fact, alone and that there is a single remaining cat priest who is dying with the belief that he hasn't lived up to the expectations of the almighty cloister, God, a.k.a. Lister. Lister convinces him that he has lived admirably as a priest so that he can die in peace and Lister comes to the conclusion that having religion is not as good as people believe since the cat species all perished trying to honour theirs. Um, the first scene uh, where he walks in again. This is um, it's unfortunate that Nick couldn't be on this episode because um, back in Balance of Power, he was suggesting how Rimmer believes he, he he is the captain of Red Dwarf and it's his lifelong goal. He does have the little scene where he walks into the drive room and he asks Ollie to for the personal records. Holly obviously turns around and says, um, "Sorry, Rimmer, there for the captain's eyes only." And he then turns around and says, "Well." I'll give him 10 seconds to come back from the dead. Um, if not, we'll uh, presume I'm in charge. Um, again, it's just um, it's just Rimmer and his ego thinking he's number one. Taking control, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, it's just Rimmer being sarcastic as usual, isn't it? To the Holly. Um, he does be very sarcastic to Holly throughout most of the episodes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a well it's a well played scene that one. It's one of the funnier scenes from the um, from the episode. Uh, it's what I call a classic scene. Um, uh, very funny. Um, I, I wonder how much of you know when Holly starts reading out Rimmer's report, whether it's a genuine captor's report or whether it's uh, as we go on to see one of these. You know, Holly seems to be the only one that winds uh, Rimmer up more than what Lister does. Yeah, well, because I, I question. Yeah, I question whether it is actually the captain's notes or whether it's just Holly being funny. Yeah, it's a valid point. I mean, because. Um... I mean, we'll cover it later on in this in this review. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one of the classic lines from this first scene, which is, "If a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. If it's not worth doing, give it to Rimmer." <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for me, that's that very clever line because I mean, everybody uses it, "If a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well," um, but with the additional of "give it to Rimmer," because you've got the look on Rimmer's face where he's been very smug, thinking, "I am the man," and then the additional bit giving it, um, "No, he's not. Nobody really likes him." If that was Hollister, who was Captain Hollister, who did write that, then if it's a job worth doing, if it's not, then give it to Rimmer. Then surely they wouldn't give the job to Rimmer to fix the draft plate, would they? Well, this is one of those things, isn't it? Um, I think we discussed it way back uh, when we did when we did Scottcast number one. We were suggesting that if he was such a low-ranking officer, then why was he asked to fix the drive plate, which then in turn killed everybody on Red Dwarf? 
I think what I like about this scene the most is the um, the the way Rimmer refuses to accept the comments that Holly reads out to him. He's like, no, yeah, no, 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 Rimmer, two R's, one at the front, one at the back. You know, and it's, <laughs> it just it just sets it up. Well, again, that goes back to what Nick said um, um, two weeks ago or three weeks ago in Scottcast number three, where he was saying that Rimmer just lives inside his little. Um, it's like got blinkers on. He doesn't want to know anything outside his what he's thinking in his head. He's perfect as far as he's concerned. Yeah, of course, there was that scene as well where I um, robbed my username for the forum from as well. <laughs> yeah, two hours remote, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, there's another thing I like about this scene as well. It's when he's reading out the Captain Hollister report and he says he constantly fails the engineering exam. Now, he's only failed it 11 times and he does, he does bring up the analogy. If I ate roast beef 11 times in my life... Would that be classed as a um, constantly eating roast beef? Which it's true. No, it's true though. <laughs> it is if you look at it in that. <laughs> I mean, but I, I don't know. I suppose if you've tried for the engineering exam like once a month for the last 11 months, then it would be classed as constantly. I suppose it depends what what kind of time scale you're going over. Yeah. I, I love the way um, Rimmer, he, when he reads out uh, Lister's uh, personnel report, when Holly reads Lister's personnel report out, he just, um, oh, I loved Captain Hollister, a good judge of character. And then yeah. when it comes to reading his out, and he just, oh, I always hated that puss head. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, uh, that's that's what cracks me up, just the way he changes opinion for, uh, you know, how befitting it is for the situation, what he wants to hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, the scenes like this, isn't it, that just, um, just sum up the rumour character, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Is uh, again, he's just very self-centered, and he and he walks around with rose-tinted glasses, so to speak. Um, he, he, where he thinks is is right is right, and he's not going to be um, persuaded away from that. Well, the the second scene that's um, when it goes into the uh, bunk room, if I remember rightly. That's um, you've got Lister reading the cat's book. Yeah. Um, whilst dunking biscuits into his uh, drink and dropping them down in just just basically smearing soggy biscuit into his top and um, what have you. And so we go into the bunk room scene. Yeah. That's, we see the beginning of Craig Charles Habit there, don't we? Sniffing books to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think on the commentary, doesn't he say that that was actually improvised when he drops the biscuit as well? He um, does, yeah. Um, yeah, on the commentary he says that that was improvised, and it's um, it's it's classic Lister behaviour. You know, you you're reinforcing this slob image of Lister, and it was actually a Craig Charles improvisation. So yeah, it's um, that does as much as anything else to reinforce the slobbiness of Lister. Yeah, well, when you notice when listening through the commentary, you see there's, there is a fine line between Lister and Craig Charles. So yeah, <laughs> it doesn't seem hard to play. Um, I tell you what I did think in this scene. Um, I know we've we've seen Talkie Toaster in previous in previous episodes, but I was wondering. Um, I, I rewatched it the other day just to just to get a refresher and make a few notes. And I was thinking, why would you put AI into a toaster? Because at the end of the day, everything is manual, apart from um, what temperature setting you have it on. Why why that, would you go to the trouble? It, it's just um, it's Lister's obsession with. Um, crappy technology, isn't it? He's, he's into cheap 
technology, the, you know, his robot goldfish, and uh, then you've got the toaster. He, he's a collector of... Um, Tat. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, because so I think about it, what I mean, surely there's not a market for a toaster that talks to you, you know what I mean? Well, it's supposed well, to be a, cheer, a cheerful thing, isn't it? Perk you up in the morning whilst you have your toast. Um, oh, right, but okay. Because he's only bought the cheap one and um, it's uh, it's slightly neurotic, you know, in its um, toast obsession. Ah, okay. I think when you notice, when you look at um, Toki Toaster, isn't it? have you noticed when you look at it, you know, um, I think it's meant to be with the slide, you know, when you put your toast down. Yeah. It's just it's just like a cardboard box stuck on the side of the, of the toaster. <laughs> yeah, because... And it's the... like falling off. <laughs> yeah, on the, the left-hand side one, it's it's just yeah. hanging off, isn't it? Yeah, that's what they talk about in the commentary, like, how did they get away with something like that? You know, what was wrong with just putting the toaster in there? Why did they have to add a box on the side? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, in this scene, you've got Lister walking around in Rimmer's shirt, because, to be honest, he doesn't need it. And I know I shouldn't really overanalyze it, but surely three million years of decay, all the, co- all the clothes should be dead. Yeah, because all the bodies are, aren't they? So you take the clothes of the ones as well. Yeah, the clothes, the coat hangers, which um, Rimmer's underwear are on. It would all be dead, surely. I mean, and also the food that we're eating as well. I know there's long-life food, but three million years, there's, there's got to be some kind of limit on it. Isn't it? You know, when they do the... Um... The inventory um, isn't a lot of the food uh, hydrogenated. Uh, hydrogenated. <laughs> Can't say it, um, but yeah, I think it's a lot of it's just um, chuck it in the machine and add water. Uh, that's how I've always imagined it. Yeah, I agree. Right, there's another thing um, I'd like to say about the scene as well. Again, I think we've touched on it in our previous episode where Lister feels lonely. Um, when Rimmer says, oh, Holly's detected um, a UO, uh, an unidentified object, uh, Lister's like, well, no, it can only be a rock. It's always a rock. And again, he comes up with the, he comes up and says that it will only be a rock. We're a three million years future. There's only us alive. And again, it's it's slightly a sad scene. It's 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 Lister feeling alone again. Yeah, I think when they say um, it's only going to be a rock, he's just like trying to not get his hopes up, isn't he? He's trying to, he's, even though he's hoping it's going to be something, maybe someone or Sutton, I think he's saying it's a rock just to keep his hopes down. Yeah. With him saying it's always a smegging rock, you know that it's not an unusual occurrence for him to yeah. detect something out there, and obviously it's it's always nothing. You know, it doesn't come to anything. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, well, the next scene, um, we see the cat come out at... Um... The air ducks, um, a nice bit of editing there. We see um, when a cat does jump out, it takes the roll over, a nice bit of editing where he rolls across the floor, so it looks like he's jumped out the vents. Um, then he meets Rimmer in the corridor and he tells him about a shiny thing. Um, that's not before he points out his food detector, which turns out to be his finger. So, therefore, he's looking around for food and runs into Rimmer. Yeah, and it's, it's shiny thing for, for anybody who's not seen it is yo yo. It's one of the classic scenes, isn't it, that one? Yeah, see, he's, he's, the cat's portraying a very cat-like character there, isn't he? Like, he as, is, as yeah. I say, evolves through the later series, and I prefer the cat to be like that. If he's a cat, then make him a cat. That's the way I think. Yeah, it, again, yeah, you're right. He was very catty, and I think it wasn't until about series three that he started becoming more human, I guess. I think it's when they get into Starbuck, isn't it, in the later series, when he becomes the pilot. Yeah, because he, he kind of has to grow up. He, he matures from being this, um, well, this very selfish cat to one of the crew. 
in this scene though, do you not find a uh, Rimatox in like in a, in a dumbed down sense? Yeah, very childish, I guess. It doesn't seem to like talk to him as a, I don't know, as an equal. Yeah, like an yeah, like an equal. Well, Rimmer doesn't really talk to anyone like that equal, really, does he? Well, no. (laughs) That's the thing. I think that's uh, going back to what we initially said that um, Rimmer thinks he is above everybody else. He's full of contempt for people, isn't he? He's just full of contempt for everyone. Thinks he's better than everyone, and it just so happens he's the highest-ranking person on that ship, and it just reinforces his contempt for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the next thing is you, you're back in the um, you're back in the bunk scene, and you've got the cat walking into, and he's been investigating, and um, Lister feeds him again, uh, still with his crispies, still as his pet cat. So I think this is probably another reason why the cat hasn't as yet grown up, because he's still being treated as almost like a pet, like a child. Uh, he walks in with um, the holy book, or the cat version of the Bible, and and Lister starts flicking through it, and he realises his picture's in there, and he sees a picture of what he believes to be himself, and he then... He's then pretty sure that he is the cat god. Um, I think we find out in the end, they do suggest that Lister is the cat god, uh, close to the stupid, and the picture in the book does does portray this. Mm. Yeah, well, there's a part of it when um, the cat gives the book to Lister, he asks Holly to translate the book. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah. How, the, how would the computer recognise the smell though? Well, he's probably got like a smell chip or something. Has <laughs> he got some artificial nose underneath his computer or something? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what they were going in, in uh, Back to Earth. <laughs> they went to the nose guy to go and get an artificial nose. <laughs> he's, probably, he's probably making Holly's nose, isn't he? Yeah. Um, again, he's got the he's got the whole scene of um, Liz saying, "I am your god." Yeah, because like, you look at it and they're just total opposites, aren't they? You couldn't believe someone cat looked up to was someone like Lister, you know, a slob and blah blah. I know the cat's race, but they followed the Lister path of slobbiness. But you look at the cat and he's just totally different to Lister, isn't he? It's like the opposite. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean th- that's the thing. I mean. Lister, his character is is very much an atheist. So to find out that he is he is the god of the cats, that that must be a weird situation to be in. I think that's a deliberate big gag, though, isn't it? That um, Rob Grant, and Doug Naylor put in that um, they they make a big point, don't they, of saying that um, the ultimate atheist actually ends up becoming a you know being a god. And yeah. it's just a. It, I think that's a, one of the big jokes, you know, in the episode in in the series even. Yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think what they do, um, they've done it in a couple of episodes now, they've actually poked fun at religion. Or should I say not poked fun at it, but just, just given a little bit more meaning to it. So basically, just through pure accident, through him being locked up and put into stasis, he has now become a god, which is, I mean, in, in Lister's eyes, he's just gone into stasis and come back out, but he's now worshipped as a god, which is... Um, it's very strange. He hasn't actually done anything. It's just belief. But it seems to make him more anti-religion as well. Um, you know, yeah, when he's yeah. when he's talking about the cats, um, it, it, they use religion as an excuse to be crappy to one another. You know, it's um, absolutely yeah. It's it's uh, it, it like reinforces his um, atheist beliefs, and yeah. obviously the cat doesn't believe him anyway. And is it this what is it is this where he gets the line? Um, okay, if you're God, turn that into a woman. You know. Yeah, that's right. He says, no, I'm serious. He says, so am I. <laughs> and you go, yeah, if you're God, then why that face? 
just then there's the additional scene where he says I'll put a little note in my diary lunch 12.30 with God formal dress it <laughs> 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 gives him a nice little pat around the face yeah um, you talk about um, the cat um, I noticed just how you know his suits like they mentioned this on the commentary as well just how sharp his suits were and how much yeah. padding he has in his in his shoulder pads yeah, they were very, very 80s, mm. weren't they? Yeah, it's very much dated now when you look at them, aren't they? The next yeah. scene's when they're in the observation room. Yeah. Rimmer's sh- uh, showing Lister where the pod is, and uh, Lister already got there and checked her and asked Holly if it was safe already. Then he, yeah. uh, he walks into the room, and uh, Rimmer doesn't like this, and tries to put him in there, uh, well, wants to put him in. Into quarantine, yeah. Um, yeah, um, as as Andy just said, it, it's the whole scene where Lister goes running round and he says, Holly, is it safe? And then he goes running it. Uh, so Rimmer's there saying, oh, no, you can't go anywhere near there. It's still in quarantine. And then he just walks in and says, you what, Rimmer? Yeah, well, this <laughs> yeah. is the, that's the part when um, he pretends he, he is attacked by like radiation or whatever it is. And he puts the, big, yeah, he he go- puts the lips on the, on the, um, on the window. <laughs> As he slides down yeah. all the saliva, yeah. Very good. No special effects there, then. No. Uh, and then you've got, like, carry on from that scene where Lister's inside there and Rimmer's like, nope, nope, you're not coming out of there for a month, you're in quarantine. And then Lister just walks out and says, what do you say, Rimmer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's where we come across as like, Lister being the, the scouse scally with the charm, isn't it? Like, yeah, that's yeah. What we, that's what we like about Lister. He's just like, wow, like he's just not very really bothered. He's just like a bit of a charmer as well, isn't he? It's, yeah, it's it, just very much. It shows his lack of respect for Rimmer as well, doesn't it? Any hold Rimmer did have on him, uh, imbalance of power, has just obviously gone now. He's not listening to him, he's not paying any attention to him. Yeah, Rimmer tries to get his power back, though, doesn't he, by saying uh, he's uh, better trained and all that. Yeah. Yeah, he's just better at everything. Yeah. Um, and again, this has got the, the scene where I believe Rimmer goes off to get the scutters and Lister walks and gives it, hang on, I know what it is, it's a, it's a garbage pod. Um, and he says to Holly, he says, oh, did he not work in, in garbage disposal? And he says, no. He says, well, don't you know, don't you already know it's a garbage pod? He says, well, yeah, but it's a bit of a laugh, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's the second part of Holly getting off Rimmer in there. Yeah, and it's almost like um, between them all, they are just ganging up on Rimmer. Just... <laughs> Just to get it, see how much they can psych him out. Yeah. Well, this is just the episode um, that really features the first real appearance of the Scutters in there. And obviously, they right, see yeah. them in the cover uh, in episode one, but they play a bigger part in this role, don't they? Yeah, because they're, they're helping Rimmer. Yeah, do you consider they're unreliable, weren't they? To begin with, the first. The next scene is. Um, is the scene that starts off, it, the camera's kind of floating down the side of Red Dwarf and it's got Rimmer taking notes with some really bad punctuation. After uh, practically every word, you've got comma, 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 full stop. <laughs> and you get the <laughs> Holly line, don't you? You know, it's clear to me, comma, that uh, these beings, colon, and, you know, basically says that, uh, you know, how intelligent they are. And you just get that line from Holly, good, perhaps they can help you with your punctuation. <laughs> it's a classic line. <laughs> well, think there's lines like that that Norman delivers better than Hattie, you think? Because Norman's... I, I totally yeah, agree, yeah. Norman's just so dry, isn't he? The way, you know, the one line is just, like, straight out there. Like, there's no there's, there's no humour to his voice, which 
probably in turn yes. is funny. It's just very, very deadpan, isn't it? Mm. Um, just uh, slightly going off on a tangent, but which which holiday do you prefer? I prefer Norman myself. Is the original. Um, it's it's a close thing. Artie did a wonderful job, but um, mm. I am more of a Norman lover. That sounds wrong. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> Um, it does sound quite wrong. Yeah, I think I prefer Norman at the moment. Um, he wasn't very much around in season eight, though, was he? No. Um, no wrong t- not wrong with Hattie. I thought she'd done a good job. But if they do make another series and I had the choice, I'd probably put Norman in there. Yeah, me too. Um, I, 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 I don't know what it is, to be honest. Yeah, that's the um, way. I, 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 I don't know why. You just don't know. Yeah, again, I think Hattie did a very, very good job. They, they play the but, parts very differently, though, don't they? Um, Norman play, you know, he plays it with a, an all right dude's sort of attitude, very laid back, whereas Hattie's yeah. um, scatty, um, I guess. Yeah, that's that's. I, I was going to use the word bimboish, but that's not right. I think scatty <laughs> covers it better, you know. Yeah, I think uh, I think Norman. I think, yeah. yeah, I like I like his, his character from the beginning, but I think Hattie sort of grows on you more later on, like yeah. series like three and four. Sort of get yeah. used to the being around. Don't you? Well, that's when yeah. that's when uh, the dwarf was in his prime, really, around then then episodes like four, five, and six. So there's more action involved in it, more stuff for Hattie to actually do. Yeah, yeah. Um, continuing with the scene. Um, now we've been off on a tangent. You've got another classic bunk scene. You've got Rimmer can't sleep in his bed. You've got Lister fast asleep. Uh, I believe he's snoring. And then you, <laughs> it always makes me laugh out loud as this, where you've got Rimmer basically sat on the bottom bunk and he sits up, he's giving it Lister. Lister. Lister! <laughs> <laughs> it actually looks like Rimmer's got like an old school PE kit on. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Smith's missing a pair of pubs. Yeah, um, white skin tight t shirt, white trout. Um, White pants and his his little pumps, and then he scares the he scares the crap out of Lister. He's like, "What? What? What?" He says, "Yeah, I couldn't sleep either." Yeah. <laughs> well, Craig Charles did say that he um he he, he says he was hung over during most of the filming for this episode, but that's um, right, yeah. that scene in particular he says was painful because of his hangover when he just screams it into his ear. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, yeah, very. Fu- probably Chris Barry probably shouted a bit louder because we're under the impression, aren't it, that he didn't really get on in the first couple of series. Yeah, yeah. So we probably loved that role, didn't they? Shouting down as he had. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> um, again, you, after he's walking up, they discuss about the uh, the garbage pod or or what Rimmer believes is um, the queer gar warrior. Um, Rimmer's hoping that they're aliens so they can give him a new body. I think what we get is Rimmer's fascination with aliens is so he can get a new body. But again, there's another analogy that humans are actually a disease and living on planet Earth. It yeah. does. It just says it like a disease, like um, like a bacteria, and all the, that's why all the other planets give us a wide berth. Don't go yeah. near Earth. It's um, it's got human beings on it. Yeah. You know. Um, if you think about it from a broader scale, um, we could just be that. Yes, yes. Final bit from this scene. Rimmer says, um, you never know, there might be, is it green-haired, six-breasted women? A six-foot-tall, green-haired woman with six breasts, breasts. or some, something like that, isn't it? And then again, you've got the very classic Red Dwarf line where... <laughs> 
Lister says, imagine making a woman to... Um, imagine woman. making love to... <laughs> well, it's the, it's the first time his head pops up off the pillow, isn't it? And he goes, imagine making love to a woman with six breasts. <laughs> and you of course, you get... Yes, and then you get Rimmer's reply, imagine making love to a woman. And then it's straight away his face just turns to one of, you know, pure embarrassment and change the subject. <laughs> yeah. Just stands there and stares at him for like a second, doesn't he? All the stare. <laughs> I thought that was very well acted and very well um, directed. That I, I thought the the look on look between the two faces was, did I just say it out loud? Because yeah. <laughs> you can tell like the way he's the way he's looking at the camera. It's like he really hasn't got a clue. Like that there's people with him, you know, this list with him. It looks like he is just staring at his own world. And he, did, yeah, he says yeah. it, and he's like, shit, I have to say that out loud, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. The next scene is um, showing just how slobby Lister is. He, everybody else would grab probably some cereal or a bacon butty and a coffee in the first thing in the morning. But he walks to the vending machine and gets himself a chicken vindaloo for brekkie and a milkshake tasting of beer. Um, again, that's just it just kind of confirms what kind of a slob they're trying to portray Lister as. Lister then walks back into the bunk room and Holly confirms there is actually the cat god. Uh, he also goes through the fact that it breaks into two religions um, for the donut diner. Um, one religion, or I should say, one following that wear red hats and one that wears blue hats. Um, again, he's poking fun at um, religion and saying just how stupid they can be at times. Obviously, I'm not poking fun at religion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what he's portraying in the episode. What's well, like, it, by the way, do you say... Um... One thought it was blue and one thought it was red, but Lister turns around yeah. and say, "In fact, they were both wrong anyway." That's a lot of a lot of people's opinions on belief as it is nowadays, isn't it? Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, that, that's why I think I wouldn't say they were poking fun, yeah. but it's like atheists. Atheists just generally say, "Well, these are both wrong anyway." So Lister seems very uh, upset about the findings that he's actually the god, though, doesn't he? At first, yeah, and again, I think he's going back to his atheist thing, um, finding out that true atheist is actually portrayed as a god, I think it reinforces his um, god is a load of rubbish kind of thing. Um, because he, he in his head, he's nothing special. He's just a normal person. Mm. And due to belief, they follow him as a god. Don't you think he feels a bit guilty, like a bit responsible for what happened to the race of the cats? Yeah, because doesn't he mention if he only had um, another, um, another pair of pants that maybe they wouldn't have crashed? Yeah. Yeah, the thing yeah. I was wondering about that, about that scene, um, yeah, he, he talks about like the one sock, um, seven socks, the shirt and that, and they were follow, yeah. following them. How would, how would, how would they follow that? I don't know. How would you, how would you look at a list of, of socks and shirt and go, we'll follow that? Uh, well, again, again, this is like, um, is however you translate like the holy word, so to speak. Um, I, I guess it's again, it's um, discussing religion, isn't it? Because everybody's got their own translation of, of what they want to believe. And seven socks of those could be, we'd need to do seven light years in that direction. You never know. It's just how they translate, isn't it? Or fly into that asteroid. Yeah. Or maybe because he land, um, this cat's Frankenstein. Yeah, Frankenstein's basket and he with the laundry. Right, um, the next scene... Um, it's back in the uh, the the quarantine room, um, just outside the quarantine room, looking in on the um, 
the alien pod or the uh, garbage pod, as Lister knows it to be. And yeah. you've basically got Lister trying to tell Rimmer all about the um, the holy book of the cats and uh, basically we're having a whinge about it, how crappy they were to one another and um, that he was God, blah, blah, blah. Um, at the same time, Rimmer's not interested and all Rimmer wants to talk about, talk about is the alien technology, which... Lister already knows is um, is garbage. Is garbage. Yeah. It's it's nothing. You know. In fact, he tells him outright, it's garbage, Rimmer. You know, leave yeah. it. It's garbage, yeah. and it it leads to uh, yeah. There's some funny lines in this one. Um, I mean, I think one of yeah. my favourites from it is when it's um, uh, when he's talking about um, being a god, and he says, uh, you know. I think is I think in previous episodes his words were yeah working class kid you know done good, whereas uh, yeah. in this one he's discovered all the crappiness that's gone on between the cats, uh, the different yeah. factions and everything, and he um, is is basically having a whinge about it. Yeah, again I think what you've got is Rimmer being Rimmer, and again with rose tinted glasses on. Because he's saying, um, I could have been God given the look he showed for his break you had. Mm. Yeah. That's, like, that's the jealous part of him coming through again, isn't it? Yeah. It's when he turns around and he says, um, well, I'm sure they're going um, sure to understand that when God turns up in all his glory and says, whoops, sorry, it's all been a mistake. You know, <laughs> he's just not concerned yeah. at all. Yeah. It, I think, again, Rimmer is very jealous in this episode. Next time we see the cat talking to his um, another fellow remaining cat, which of course is a priest. Um, he's talking about um, his his feet, going to the cat, and um, then he's investigating, he's investigating feet, feet, yeah. feet. Yeah, and we get the priest talking about how he's failed his religion and about how he's failed to um, stick with the path of slobbiness and um, decides to throw away his hat that was left behind from his religion. Uh, from this, we had um, Lister come through the doors and confirm to the priest that he hasn't led the wrong life. He's led uh, the righteous path of slobbiness and therefore um, is granted a place on Fushal. Yeah, because you've got the priest saying, oh, I, I failed your cloister. Um, you tested me. Uh, I've given away my hat. Um, he says, no, 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 you didn't. Here's your hat back. And, and basically restored his faith just before he passed away. Yeah. Which I thought was a very clever scene and it was a good way of I think this episode, what it mainly does, it, it it fills in the backstory for the for the cat race, and as as you've got another priest there, and it just shows you the religion and everything behind that, and I, I think it ties it up um, very well. It's um, this is I, I was not looking forward to this episode, and it's it, it's mainly because of this scene. Um, yeah, I mean, on reviewing, it's not been as it's not been as bad as I thought. I mean, this scene with. Um, the priest is only i think it's less than 4 minutes long it comes in at um yeah but yeah it's um i don't like the acting of the cat it's very melodramatic very ham acting i mean i know he's an old time actor and what have you but uh, i yeah I, I i wasn't into the actual um the character of the cat the you know it just it's not a scene that appeals to me and um it very much it drags this episode down for me yeah, when you say the cat, yeah. you're talking about the cat cat or the I mean, cat? No, sorry, I mean, I mean the priest, the, the priest yeah. cat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a big error in that scene as well, isn't he? Where um, he supposedly dies, and then they flick over to him again, and he picked his leg up, so he need to put it onto the table. 
Yeah, <laughs> I've not spotted that. I know he, um, I know he cuts his nose when he does the death scene. His his hat falls off and actually cuts his nose. Um, That's the, right. Yeah. The makeup department actually had to touch him up. Um, I think this is the only scene as well that was pre-recorded. It wasn't done before the live audience. They they had trouble with it's Noel Coleman that plays the priest, and they had That's trouble. Right, yeah. um, he, he had trouble with his lines, remembering his lines. So they actually pre-recorded it. Um, and it took a hell of a lot longer than four minutes just to do that one scene. Wow. Then you've got the final scene. Is Lister going in, he's saying the quarantine period's over, and he's saying, and you've got Rimmer very excited. Um, Lister then opens up the garbage pod, picks out a chicken, holds it up, and Rimmer's very excited. He's saying, ah, the remains of a Quagar warrior. <laughs> And he's saying, yeah, they must have looked something like a roast chicken. Yeah. <laughs> that's, where, that's where the end of the episode, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but it just it's... ends a bit very abrupt for me. When I, when I first see it, I was thinking, well, this ends a bit quick, but you get the um, when the credits going up where Rim is saying, that's Megan Garbage Pod. You get that. It's, yeah. it's, the first time we, it's the first time we see that as well, isn't it? Tinkering with the end credits, you know, for it, you get an extra laugh out of the actual end credits. It's the first time we see that in Red Dwarf. Yeah. But I mean, it's, I guess it's just Lister telling him all along, listen, listen, Rimmer, it's just garbage. And him not believing him. And it's just one up for Lister, just saying, listen, if you'd listen to me, which, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, well, my first reaction was when it got split off was, well, that didn't work for me. But then. When you listen, when you watch the credits and he, he just says them two lines, then it, I thought it finished well. Yeah. yeah finished it off nice episode. Right, finally, the scores. Um, me personally, I thought it was okay. I thought it filled in some gaps. I thought it I thought it filled in the story for where the cat race came from, where they went, why they were no longer on, on Red Dwarf. I think, however, I'll only give it a five. Um, what about you, Anthony? Well, I were expecting to come in low with this one. Um, I thought I was going to go for around about a four, but uh, on second viewing, well, on reviewing, I mean, obviously I've seen it loads of times, but it's not as bad as I remembered. Um, there's more classic scenes in it than I remembered, you know, with the um, uh, the shiny thing scenes, one of the, you know, it's one of my favourites from all of the Red Dwarf series you yeah, know and yeah. it's um it's it's here in this one so um it bumps it up a bit for me uh, i'm actually gonna go as high as a six out of ten um I, I, it was better than i remembered okay very good um what about you ian yeah um, i think um stick with that with what anthony said um it's one of them episodes when whenever i put a dvd on and i want to watch an episode so it's one of them episodes you always just kind of skip past you, yeah you always right, watch yeah. something else but when we said we were going to do the podcast, I put it in and I watched it last night again. Um, and you're thinking, no, this, there are a few classic moments in this. And um, yeah, it wasn't as bad as I remember, as Auntie said. So yeah, I, again, I enjoyed it. A few classic scenes. Not the best from the series, but overall, I did enjoy it. So, Very good. Uh, um, and what's your score? I think I'm going for um, a six. Okay, brilliant. And Andy, what about you? I like this one. I did. I, I give it a. Uh, a seven. It's one of them episodes okay. where you start watching it and it goes so quick. Yeah, it, yeah. I suppose there are a lot of scenes in it. The none of them really drag apart from the pre-scene for me. It, flick, it flicks from one to the next. I, I, I do like it. Like you said, a lot of classic scenes, a lot of classic jokes. Yeah, so I've 
marked mine as a six, but if watching it as an episode, I'd probably mark it higher, but the benchmarks that I've set a ten on Red Dwarf and the benchmarks I set a five, I think it yeah, favours yeah. six. Um, I do like, don't get me wrong, I do think it's a, it's a good episode, but compared to the episodes that I'm going to give a 10 or a 9, it's not as good, if that makes sense. Okay, so that's a 5, a 6, 6 and a 7, that's um, that's 60%. Right, well that's the scores out of the way. Um, next section is what's going down in Groovestown, but with a quick advertisement from Nova Babylonia. There are no witnesses to date, and the only thing we have managed to recover is this scrap of garbled transmission. Both sides in war bear equal responsibility for the darker sides of their nature. There is a mechanism in place that will inform the president of our complicity in this war. God, they're gonna kill him. They're going to kill David. Join the continuing adventures of Novo Babylonia at www.novo-b.com. All right, dudes, what's going down in Groove Town then? Right, yeah, um, I've been uh, looking at the figures, viewing figures for the Back to Earth um, specials, the Easter specials. Um, yeah. And I've, I've seen different figures banded about, but uh, most of them seem to say just over two million for the Friday night episode, uh, about half that for the um, Saturday night episode, and then the final one um, was slightly less again. Um, okay. But the official Red Dwarf site... Um, reddwarf.co.uk uh, the figures they've posted also take into account um, the Monday night repeats and I'm assuming it must take um, into account the um, the uh, deja, vu, deja vu repeats as well as the yeah, uh, sure. you know the repeat that showed an hour after the yeah. initial viewing anyway the, the final figures they've got uh, the combination of the original broadcast and um the, also the Monday nights is that episode one was watched by over 3.2 million viewers um, wow episode two they say reached 2.4 million and episode three um, grabbed 2 million is how they've worded it um, which is absolutely phenomenal a total success for um, Dave um, yeah. I think um, people were speculating what would make a uh, acceptable viewing figures and um, from what I've heard anything over a million would have been excellent and they've, yeah. they've doubled it you know even down to the um, episode three which a few quite a few had actually dropped off from you've still got um, two million watched episode three so um, yeah I think it, it's got to have been a success for Dave um, yeah they've, I mean, what, what, well they've done a poll sorry, as well Dave have done a poll on their site basically asking if people if Red Dwarf should return, should we see more um, Red Dwarf in the future? And, I mean, if it was dreadful, the Back to Earth, then a lot of people would have turned around and said no. But as it is, most yeah. most are in fact. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of Dwarf fans that are crying out for it. But, yeah, they've turned around and um, it's, it looks to me as if everybody's seems to be voting yes, we want more Red Dwarf, and um, it seems to have gone down well. Very good. I mean, the thing, the thing that I don't understand, or should I say I feel sorry for, actually, is there's there's about a million and a half drop off uh, from season one? Uh, sorry, episode one to episode two. So there will be a lot of people out there thinking, oh, well, a million and a half people out there thinking that the ep the first episode that was it. Um, which, if only they then watched the the next two episodes, that have found out that it was actually slightly better than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of competition on a Saturday night as well, isn't there? 
There is, yeah, that's, and especially with it being a bank holiday as well. That's it. I mean, I think um, is is it um, Britain's Got Talent had started as well, so you know, yeah. there's a lot of people break off for that, you know. So yeah, no, I mean, hats off to the guys. Um, well, as as we discussed in the um, in the special episode that we did, um, it wasn't brilliant. It wasn't total classic dwarf, but it still left us wanting more, which, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing, really is. Um, talking about viewing figures, well, not quite, but during during the Easter weekend when obviously the Red Wolf special was on, we had a massive, massive influx of listeners to the Scuttercast, um, which now, I mean, with currently four episodes gone, we're hitting nearly two and a half thousand downloads, so thank you very much to everybody who's listened to it. Uh, I just hope you've enjoyed it, to be honest. Um, and again, the the visits to the forum... Um, increase fivefold. It, it w- was amazing. I mean, it is now coming back down to normal again, um, but it was just a very exciting weekend. Just everybody in Red Dwarf in my mind, and it was it was strange actually going back to work since then. It's amazing how many people at work are actually Red Dwarf fans, and you didn't actually know until they were discussing the Red Dwarf episodes. Uh, you just walk around the office and overhear people talking about Red Dwarf, and um, I've had a lot of people discussing. Discussing dimension jump on whether we're going, etc., etc. Mm. Well, that's it. Even though the episodes have gone, been and gone, there's still a general huge buzz around Red Dwarf, isn't there? I've noticed. There is, yeah. I've noticed a few of my friends who like who've watched it, but I never, you would never associate them with coming on the forum or going to dimension yeah. jump something like that. But they're all like keen on on it now, and I try to get a few of them over to the forum. And I know there's one of them who was almost gonna record his own mp3 for the last week's special but just, oh, right. just missed it so right i mean to be honest um it's no surprise which episodes we're doing so if anybody does want to record a little soundbite like they did for the special uh, just to review the episode so for example uh, mr blakey busy if you're out there next week we're doing confidence and paranoia so by all means if you love or hate that episode let us know and that goes to anybody else out there as well the more the merrier yeah sure um it's um for those that don't know this is actually the, it's the second time we've recorded um this episode we we had problems with the first recording and in the end we had to scrap it um That's so right, yeah. it's quite old news this but it, I'll, I'll we've not actually stated it in a podcast that's actually been um uh, gone out anyway so um dimension jump 15 um has been announced which is basically a red dwarf convention Confirmed guests, uh, there are many, uh, amongst which we've got Chris Barry, Craig Charles, Danny John Jules, Robert Llewellyn, uh, Hattie Hayridge, so nearly full cast. The only uh, notable one that's missing is Norman, um, and that's going to be in October. Um, it's Friday, October the 9th, running through to Sunday, October the 11th, and that's going to be held in the Birmingham Holiday Inn. Uh, yeah. Now there's various various prices for this, but basically the sooner you get your ticket, the cheaper it's going to be. Um, if you register before the fourth of May, um, fan club members will be able to buy their tickets for forty pounds. Non-members will get the ticket for fifty pounds. Um, yeah. After May the fourth, prices increase by fifteen pounds. There's links on the official Red Dwarf site. Um, in fact, I, uh, we ought to put um, links to these on the Red Dwarf forum 
um, yeah. which basically tell you the prices of um, the rooms at the Birmingham Holiday Inn. Um, but yeah, it's um, it it's uh, it certainly looks like worth go, worth attending. You know, there's plenty yeah. of people going to be there. My advice is to try and book as quick as you can as well, especially with the dwarf specials being on. There's a general big buzz around the dwarf at the yes. moment. Yeah. And I can't picture yeah. a holiday in being that big. I'm camping down on a roundabout, I think. Take the tent. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you see a lone lucky. tent in the middle of a roundabout in Birmingham, um, say hello. <laughs> <laughs> The Back to Earth, that we, uh, the Easter special that we've uh, all watched the other week, um, June the 15th is the official release date for that DVD. Um, the interesting thing with that is a tweet uh, on Twitter that um, Robert Llewellyn um, put out. Basically, he stated that there's lots of footage, lots of good footage that wasn't used, um, wasn't broadcast. So um, presumably, he's he's hinted that some of that will probably find its way into the final cut and um, will be released on the DVD. So I think that might be worth getting Fantastic. for everyone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The thing that I noticed, um, if we do get, if the, if the DVD is the one that we've seen in the episodes, is the fact that it was two disc. Yeah, that'd yeah, be nice. The Red Dwarf DVDs in general seem to have a lot of extra footage anyway, don't they? They do go yeah, to a lot yeah. of effort to put extra stuff on. Unless you get just the show's what... one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you what I would like. I mean, this is probably not going to happen. and But it would be very nice if they could... You know how you can normally flick through the audio track so you've got the normal running or you've got the audio commentary? It'd be nice to have one way you could just flick on the laughter track if you wanted it. <laughs> Do you think they might do something like that? I don't know, because, I mean, there has been a lot of feedback, yeah. haven't there? Um, a lot of people loving it, a lot of people... Did you... Uh, I actually got round to watching that link that you posted uh, when we recorded the specials, Ian. Um, uh, in fact, I've, I've put it onto the forum. Yeah, yeah, um, I For... for um, for anybody listening that doesn't know what I'm on about, um, there's, there's been various uh, fan-added um, laughter tracks... Um, uh, made available on YouTube. Uh, somebody has gone to the trouble of actually putting together um, the whole of the first episode in a in a re-edit. Uh, they've recut it, um, done it. Uh, obviously, it's not director's cut. I think it's called alternative cut, and um, it's really good. It, it makes episode one, which everyone was a bit meh, you know, about. They've actually made it really. Uh, really good. It's 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 cut cut it down to just over ten minutes, and it's fantastic. They've added a little Holly intro, which is basically Holly appearing. It fuzzes out of focus, goes offline, comes up on the screen. There's malfunction, so it explains that Holly's not working. Um, and then it, you've got the added gag where it comes up and says um, audience laughter malfunction, and. Um, yeah. it, the whole thing, the way they've cut it together, the bits they've took out, um, that 10 minutes is actually a lot better than the original 20-odd minutes that we got broadcast on Dave. Uh, fantastic job. Yeah. And that's just purely from a fan-edited point of view. Welcome to the Parrot Spa, the place you can drink a curry-flavoured tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out. Um, one thing I'd like to bring up. Um, 
I've noticed this from editing all the edi- episodes together. Every single episode we've done so far, we've mentioned Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it, it's almost it's really like it's taken over at the moment in Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it it is. I mean, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know how many of the listeners out there do actually use Twitter, but it's it's a weird addiction. Um, basically, it's 140 characters. You type in what you're doing. And then that's it. And then people reply to you and say, oh, you're doing so-and-so. Oh, it's just very, very strange. If somebody did explain it to me six months ago, I'd have given it, you what? Do what? Yeah, well, I, I didn't it, think it's... it worked until you, I think it was you said, um, download the tweet deck. He says, once you download the tweet that's deck, right, it yeah. all makes sense. And it does, um, uh, the official Twitter site, you've basically just got a whole list of people you're following. And you can click on a yeah, box for right. replies. Yeah. The tweet deck just puts them all in front of you, three columns. And I've got one, which is a group section, which is um, it's basically it's members of the Red Dwarf Forum, members of Scuttercast, members of Fiction Shed. Um, you've got a replies box, which is be people that have directly replied to you. And then you've just got one of yeah. all friends, which is basically everybody that you're following. And it just... Yeah, just like a news It does. Feed. It separates. Yeah. It's all fantastic. You can go straight instantly to people... That are replying to you, um, but yeah, it's uh, so addictive, strangely addictive. Yeah, it, it's kind of like car crash. You, you know you shouldn't look, yes, <laughs> but you do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anybody. Well, I mean, it's like I was um, during when we went to the wedding. I I had to have an internet blackout, um, so I didn't get any spoilers about episode two of the Back to Earth, and that was awful because for 14 hours, I mean, granted I was sleeping for some of those, but 14 hours, I couldn't go on Twitter, and it was awful. It, it, it was like a drug. Yeah, and I thought you were blanking me as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was just the feedback. <laughs> cool. Well, um... Yeah, for anyone who's, who's got Twitter as well, make sure you follow us at Red Dwarf Forum as well. Yeah, if you follow at Red Dwarf Forum and then and then Red Dwarf Forum is following us, so you you can find us independently. Well, I think that's us coming to the end of this podcast. So thank you very much for listening to this one and the previous ones. Um, Anthony's going to give his recommendation of of the week uh, for a podcast to go. And what you will find as well is if you go into our Podbean site, um, we've got a little section on the right hand side saying we recommend. And the people who have we have been recommending throughout the episodes, you can find them there. So it's a very easy link to you. Majority of them are on Podbean anyway, so you can go to their sites and give them some love. Um, over to you, Anthony. Yeah. Um, well, this week's recommendation, um, it's it's actually um, the guy, uh, the the people that run this. Um, it's Jacob and Mandy run the um, Ampersand um, podcast, which is um, it's the one they're currently doing is called Nerd Hurdles, uh, and they've also yeah. just finished one. Although we might still get the odd episode called Pre- Preview Reviews. Uh, you can find them at uh, ampersand a m p e r s a n d dot podbean dot com. Um, as always, no www, just ampersand dot podbean dot com. Um, you can also search for ampersand uh, or nerd nerd hurdles uh, on iTunes, and it's just a very 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 funny couple. It's um, Jacob and Mandy from Canada. Uh, Jacob was in fact the very first person I. Um, had any interaction with on a forum a few months ago uh, such a such a f- the, 
well, I was going to say funny guy, but the pair of them really do make me laugh. Um, nerd hurdles. Uh, it's basically what is a nerd hurdle. It's um, it's something that um, you've got to get over um, if you consider it to, something to be too geeky, uh, too nerdy. So it might be role playing. They've done an episode on uh, role playing. Um, it's quite a geeky thing, role playing. Um, you've got to, if you want to get involved with it, you've got to hurdle that nerdle, <laughs> as, as we like to say. But they've they've covered subjects from um, celebrity, following celebrities on Twitter, um, from Twilight to Twitter. Your letter, oh, that was a letters episode they did. Uh, Earth Hour, which was um, it was uh, basically uh, protesters. This was done live during uh, protests. You can hear the protesters outside their apartment shouting about people turning their lights off for an hour. Um, Transformers, which they've titled that one Transnormers. They weren't impressed with that nerd hurdle. And, yeah, it's um, it's hilarious. Uh, at the moment, you can still catch the older preview reviews, which was basically um, Jacob uh, reviewing something from... Um, from its advertisement, so it might be reviewing a book by its cover, uh, reviewing a movie by either its trailer or maybe the movie poster, uh, reviewing um, albums. I know he reviewed Britney Spears' album by the um, the twenty second clip you get on iTunes. Uh, very very funny way of looking at things, and it's well worth a listen. So that's um, ampersand.podbean.com. Brilliant. Or you can click on the link if you go to the Scuttercast Podbean site, which is scuttercast.podbean.com, or you've got a link from the Red Dwarf Forum. Well, thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. And next week, we'll be back with confidence and paranoia. See you all next week. Bye. 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 Bye.